Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters. I'm Steve Newborn. The election for the new mayor of St. Petersburg is over, so what's on tap for the old mayor? Rick Kreisman has been through a lot in his two terms in office. On the plus side, the city's skyline has blossomed like never before, and St. Petersburg has become the go-to destination in the Tampa Bay area. But also, the city's sewage system continually flowed into the bay, and then the worst red tide in memory shut down the city's waterfront. And still to be decided what to do with the Tropicana field site now that the Tampa Bay Rays want to split their season with Montreal. So we're doing an exit interview with the outgoing mayor. Rick Kreisman, welcome to Florida Matters. Appreciate y'all having me on. It's our pleasure. You know, first up, it's been a long eight years for you. Do you have any sense of sadness that you're no longer going to be in office or are you ready to hop in an RV and head for the mountains for a spell? The funny thing is I wouldn't describe it as a long eight years. Eight years is a long time, but truthfully, it feels like it flew by. Myself, my staff, my family, we, we, we look back and we're like, where did the eight years go? I cannot believe it's been eight years and that it's come and gone. And, you know, it's time for me to, uh, to step down. So, uh, yeah, there, there's definitely sadness in, in doing it. Being mayor is, I think it's the best job in politics, truthfully. And I've talked to a lot of other folks who've Served in other positions, uh, you know, even those who've been in Congress, you know, and they all kind of say the same thing is as much as they, they like the job they're in, being mayor was the best job that they ever had. And, and I totally understand why they would say that, because I, I would agree. It's I think it is the best job in politics. Well, you've been a state representative, you've been a lawyer. Any plans to stick around in politics anymore or what do you plan to do? Yeah, I have no intention or no plans right now for running for any any other offices. I certainly uh, would love to stay engaged in some form or fashion. What that looks like, I don't know yet. Haven't made any decisions. I've had some conversations with folks. I still am a licensed attorney here in the state of Florida. I could go back to practicing law, although I don't know that I'll practice the type of law that I did before I became mayor. But, you know, I've got 21 years of, of government experience on the local level as both a city councilman and then, you know, as mayor and then on the state level as a state representative. And, you know, so um, I do think that I might be able to provide some assistance to folks who are trying to navigate through the bureaucracy of government. Well, you certainly have a lot of experience doing that. So uh, let's draw on some of those 21 years. If uh, you were having a drink in a bar with the new mayor or maybe riding on his Harley, like he mentions a lot, uh, what was the first piece of advice that you would give him? Yeah. You know, I, first off, um, the mayor-elect and I have been friends for a long time, and I'm really thrilled that he won, aside from the historical significance of it. He's a good man, and his heart's in the right place, and, you know, I have great confidence that he'll build on the things we were able to accomplish and hopefully uh, address those that we weren't. And no one likes to admit that you didn't succeed at everything, but the truth of the matter is, is we didn't. There were things we tried that didn't work. Uh, there was progress that we were hoping to make that we haven't made. 
And certainly I'm, I'm hoping that he'll, he'll be able to build on that. And, you know, I think you can't eat the apple in one bite. One of the things that I'll tell him is take bites of the apple. You're not going to, you're not going to get it done overnight. It's, you know, he's been in government for 20 years himself. So I think he understands that to some degree. Uh, but, you know, he's going from the legislative side to the executive side, and it is different uh, because I've, I've done both now. And you have to be patient. You can't be afraid of making mistakes. Uh, you have to be willing to try new things. And I think if, you, if you're not afraid of making mistakes, if you're willing to try new things, you have the potential to do greatness. Uh, if you are overly cautious and status quo is what you want to you know, see happen, then you, know, you won't do damage, but you really won't make progress. And you know, we've got a lot of progress as a city that we've made, but there's still a lot to be made. You know, we have a lot of work to do as it relates to equity and, and everything underneath that. Okay, in a minute, I'm going to ask what you'd do over again if you had another chance. But first, you've been doing this faring well tour, so you probably have a lot of experience answering this questions. But what do you think your greatest accomplishment in office was? Yeah, it, it's funny because I just had a, another reporter in the office talking to me about um, COP26 because I just got back from uh, Scotland um, Saturday night. And I told him the two questions I'm asked the most are, what are you doing next? And what do you think your legacy or your greatest accomplishment is? And <laughs> Sorry to be so predictable, but I'll ask some good questions later, I promise. Yeah, no, that's okay. I mean, it's, 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 it's a fair question that everybody has. But what I like to say is when, when it comes to my legacy or what my accomplishments were, you know, there's, there's an expectation that people have as to what I'm going to answer. And I think I, I surprise them a little bit. I, you know, obviously, it's easy to point to things you know, whether it's the peer, which was a, a, a tremendous accomplishment, but one that I share with my entire team uh, here in the city, because it certainly isn't something I could get done on my own. I had amazing team of, from administrators and directors all the way down to the, you know, the men and women on the ground every day that, that helped make this happen. Um, or, you know, you see the, the, the police station. I mean, that was something that was needed so badly for the men and women who keep us safe every day uh, to give them decent working conditions and a station to work out of that's state of the art. So that's the expectation. I'm going to say one of those. Um, but, you know, for me, when I came into office in 2014, I wanted to change the culture of the city. And by that, what I mean was I wanted to, first off, become a city that, that celebrates diversity that has no tolerance for intolerance, you know, that was welcoming, that started to work hard at trying to address equity and, and really um, look at what's happened in the African-American community and try and make a difference. That, to me, is what I wanted to... It was the most important thing I, I felt like. If I, can, if I can do that, and I, I describe the city as kind of a big, a big tanker. You know, we didn't get to where we were overnight, and we weren't going to change it overnight. But like a tanker, which doesn't turn on a dime, you know, it turns slowly, but you have to get it turning if you want to get it to that destination. And so for me, it was a matter of trying to do what we could do to turn this tanker. And I think we've done that. You know, you look at the investments we've been able to make with the South St. Pete CRA and the impact of those investments on job creation and on poverty. And, you know, in our African-American community, our poverty rate, which is still too high, but having said that, it's the lowest it's been in, in more than two decades. You know, so that's, 
that's a good step in the right direction. And you look at the reputation that St. Petersburg now has globally. You know, we're known around the world now. We weren't really known. We were, you know, other than as a sleepy bedroom community or a place that retirees came to, to retire and eventually pass away. That's not who we're known as anymore. And so to me, that's been the, the thing I'm most proud of is turning that tanker and getting it headed in the right direction. All right. So conversely, if you had a mulligan, what's one issue that if you could, you'd like to have another crack at? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's been a couple projects that we've worked on that um, haven't come to fruition yet. Things like Tangerine Plaza. We're, we're in the negotiating stages right now with someone, but, you know, it's taken a long time to get to this point. I'd love to have I'd love to have had it done uh, before leaving office. I'd love to have had the Deuces Rising plan, which we've got it moving and we're making progress on. But again, I'd like to have had that completed before leaving office. I'd love to have had a deal done with the Rays before leaving office and to have um, a contract already in place with the developer on Tropicana Field. These are huge issues that have been around a long time. Uh, and so maybe I was being optimistic and, and ambitious, but I'm a believer that if you don't set high goals, you've got no chance of ever reaching them if you don't set them. To me, it's worse if you didn't set the goal at all and you didn't make the effort at all. And so those are a couple things, just as an example, that I'd love to have, I'd love to have had a do-over. I'd also love to have had a do-over as it relates to um, the issues we had with our infrastructure in 2015 and 16. You know, I wish I had better information that I was utilizing to make the decisions that we were making. Unfortunately, the information I had wasn't, wasn't real good. And so we made some decisions that we might have made differently had we had other information. And so uh, I'd love to have been able to, to roll back the time and, and make sure that the information we were relying upon to make our decisions was the best information possible. Well, those years you just mentioned between 2015 and 2017, the city spilled about a billion gallons of sewage into surrounding waterways. So you had to sign a consent order with the state. There's been a couple of hundred million dollars in improvements to the sewage system that have been proposed and planned. How's that coming along? Oh, absolutely. It's not just pledged, it's been spent. Our infrastructure on our wastewater system is in the best position in the, that it's been in Again, in probably two decades, we've spent over $300 million upgrading our capacity for treatment, upgrading our pipes from the standpoint of, of trying to address the, uh, the inflow and infiltration into our, into our pipes, uh, fixing our manholes, starting to work on our laterals. We now have a uh, wastewater and stormwater master plan, which, first off, we never had a wastewater master plan, and our stormwater hadn't been updated in over 20 years. So we now know what we need to do going forward and the investments that need to be made going forward. We are in a far better position today than we were when I took office. Far better. And you look at the last several years when we've had some storms, we haven't had to discharge wastewater like we did back in 2015 and 16. And, you know, truthfully, it was, it was, it was a horrible decision that we faced. Do we, do we have raw sewage come up through our, our, manholes and flow back into toilets throughout the city? Or do we discharge partially treated wastewater into the bay? Neither of them were good, good choices. But we chose the one that we thought would have the least impact on the environment uh, and on our residents, and then put about a plan to make sure that doesn't ever happen again. 
and we are in, like I say, a much better position today. So let's stay on that environmental topic. Like you just said, you just came back from that environmental conference in Scotland. The environment in creating a green city with zero carbon emissions has been one of your pet projects. Do you believe that cities, first of all, can make a difference? And do cities have to step in because the state and federal governments are failing to act? Yeah, I I mean, there's no question in my mind that cities are the ones who are making the difference. I mean, you look at when, when President Trump came into office, you know, he pulled out of the Paris Climate Agreement. But you had over 500 cities around the U.S. who all said, we're still in. And if the federal government isn't going to be, we are, and we're going to do the work that needs to be done. Um, and, you know, it, 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 one of the announcements that was made in, in Glasgow, um, which I was very proud of because I was part of the effort to get cities signed up, was the cities race to zero. And what was announced is more than a thousand cities around the world have announced that they are a part of the city's race to zero to become 100% renewable, to reduce our, our CO2 uh, footprint. That's really critical. You know, and, and, and unfortunately, a lot of us, I was on a panel and in a meeting with mayors from Texas, mayors from Iowa, you know, and around the, uh, around the country who all are were saying the same thing, that we're not necessarily getting a whole lot of help from our state governments. And, you know, in the past, certainly the last four years, you know, Trump talked a lot about infrastructure, but he didn't do anything on it. You know, President Biden talked about infrastructure and climate, and now we have $1.7 trillion that's going to be invested in that. And so I, I'm really optimistic that we can accelerate on the city level what we've been doing around the country because we're going to have more resources to do it. And that was part of our challenge. You know, we were doing everything we could here in St. Pete with the resources we had. But to have the opportunity to have, you know, millions of dollars potentially flow into our city that will allow us to invest in solar, that will allow us to invest in retrofitting our buildings into a green fleet, into EV um, infrastructure, that's huge. You know, and, and the truth of the matter is, when you're working on climate, you're also working on housing affordability. Uh, because so many, at least in this city, so many of, the, of, of our housing stock are old houses that are not energy efficient. And so the, the utility costs continue to go up, making it harder and harder and less affordable for the people living there. So when you address climate and you address energy efficiency and you address transportation, you're also addressing quality of life, equity, and affordability. Do you believe that cities can be an example for the rest of the country and for states that aren't really doing much? I do. And, you know, there's great leadership, in the, it, certainly in the U.S. Conference of Mayors. It is an issue that we have been pounding the drum on. You've got, you know, mayors who are in leadership positions as it relates to climate. You know, you had the mayor of Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti, is chair of C40, which is, you know, the 40 largest cities in the, in the world working on climate. You have the mayor of Des Moines, Iowa, uh, Frank County, who is the uh, global chair of ICLEI. You have the mayor uh, of Houston, Texas, Silver, Sylvester Turner, who is the chair of the Global Climate Mayors uh, Organization. So you've got uh, mayors all around the country who are involved and invested in trying to uh, impact and are leading organizations that are working on climate change. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with our conversation with St. Petersburg Mayor Rick Kreisman. Welcome back to Florida Matters. We're doing an exit interview of sorts with outgoing St. Petersburg Mayor Rick Kreisman. Well, the city's been involved in rezoning some low-lying areas. Uh, Sea level rise is is a clear and present danger to areas such as the city's waterfront and shore acres. 
Do you think the city is doing enough to stave off what is probably inevitably a rise in the sea level? Yeah, well, I think that, that you know, our integrated sustainability action plan is really, for us, that's going to be our roadmap to uh, addressing resiliency and sustainability. And, you know, part of the problem um, that I've seen from, you know, from Tallahassee is it's the focus has been solely on adaptation. And yeah, we've got to, we have to adapt for, for the rising seas. You know, you look at the pier and the pier was built higher than FEMA requires. We did new seawalls, which are higher. We're with, with FEMA's assistance, uh, elevating housing. Um, so we are starting to work on those things, and adaptation is important. But you also have to spend money on mitigation. You gotta—it's got to be a twofold attack. You have to reduce your impact on climate change so that the amount you spend on adaptation is lessened. Uh, and that's a concern that I have from the assistance, at least that we're getting from Tallahassee. You've got Dr. Gary Mitchum at USF uh, Marine Sciences did a. Um, a paper with professors from the University of Hawaii. And one of the things that they noted in their paper is that if we don't do anything right now to address and mitigate our impact on climate change, within the next 15 years, we're gonna go, and neighborhoods in our city, like Shore Acres, are gonna go from seeing seven days where they get flooding that's not storm-related to 70 if we do nothing. And so we have to mitigate at the same time, we're adapting. So speaking of rising prices, some of the, the prices for the new condos that are going up downtown are quite impressive. But equally impressive has been downtown's rebirth. It's remarkable transformation in the last few years. Do you take credit for setting the groundwork for some of this transformation, or do you think it came naturally? No, I, I think it's a combination. I, first off, you know, our forefathers uh, were brilliant here in St. Petersburg, and we were very fortunate that they recognized a couple things. One, the importance of a waterfront that is not uh, developed where you've got condos right on the water. You go along the waterfront of downtown St. Pete, and it's parkland. Um, and that's one of the things that makes St. Pete really special. They also, this is a very walkable downtown. Uh, the layout and the grid system, I think, has been hugely impactful in creating the vibrancy of our downtown. Um, and so some of the things that, that happened in the past, I think, have laid the groundwork uh, for the future. But I also think it's been really important to create this quality of life here in the city and to build on and recognize the importance of arts and culture uh, to a community. And so we've invested more money uh, as an administration in our, in our arts and culture community than prior administrations have. You know, I, I worked really hard with... Uh, Rudy Ciccarello to get the Arts and Crafts Museum here in St. Petersburg. We've, we've had great relationships with all the other museum directors with, with you know, working to, to create the Warehouse Arts District and work with those folks to see that take off. Again, you know, creating a, a welcoming, diverse, tolerant community. Well, let's pivot to politics for a minute if we could here. Um... Mayor Kreisman, now that you're leaving office and don't have to worry about offending any voters, tell our listeners what you really think about Governor DeSantis. <laughs> well, I'm not sure that I, I can honestly say that I haven't offended voters in the past, uh, at least based on social media. Um, look, you know, I, I've been very disappointed in Governor DeSantis, and I haven't been shy to say that. Um, you know, he has not been collaborative. Uh, he doesn't play well in the sandbox with anyone, uh, Republican or Democrat, mayor-wise. 
you know, and I compare him to the prior administration under Rick Scott. And look, you know, I think Rick Scott would be the first one to tell you he and I didn't agree on a whole lot politically, but we talked and we still talk, quite frankly, he still calls me. You know, I can't, I've never talked to DeSantis and it hasn't because, been because I haven't tried. I've reached out to him. I've tried to meet with him when I'm in Tallahassee and he has no interest. Uh, and, it's, and it's disappointing. It should be collaborative. There are areas where he and I should be able to find common ground. Certainly job creation is one of them. I recognize the importance of job creation here in my city. I recognize how good it is for my city, my county and the state. And we should be working together on that, but that hasn't happened. You know, unfortunately, we've got a governor who's more interested in running for president and trying to appeal to his base than he is in doing what's best for the, the state. And that's disappointing. Well, one of the points of contention between the cities and Tallahassee has been preemption of the philosophy that Tallahassee knows best. You're not allowed to be doing what you want to do at the city level. So we're going to dictate one policy for everything. Is that a major sticking point in your mind as well? Oh, it's been, you know, and I served six years in Tallahassee and we did preemptions while I was there, uh, but nothing like we've seen now. It is Tallahassee saying, you know what, a lot of these cities have progressive mayors or Democratic mayors and administrations, and we're not going to let them, we're not going to let them have any power. Uh, we know better than they do. I think it's incredibly hypocritical when you hear DeSantis and state leaders talk about how Washington should leave them alone. Don't tell us what to do. We know better than you what's good for our state. And then they turn around and what's the first thing they do? They preempt local government. You know, I, I use the line and, and I still love this line, so I'm going to use it again. Probably drives my people crazy. But when I was in the legislature, I said, you know, if hypocrisy was an Olympic event, these guys would win the gold medal. And that's still the truth today. And in fact, it's worse today. The Democrats do not seem to be offering a message that appeals to the majority of voters out there. Most Democratic mayors, after they leave office, they don't seem to be going for higher office and are being used as a bench for higher office. Why do you think the party doesn't use Democratic mayors more? And what do you think is wrong with the Democratic Party? I mean, they don't seem to be winning many statewide elections. I think mayors ought to be used more than they have been. We're the closest to the people. Everybody knows us. I think you look around the state of Florida, mayors like Bob Buckhorn and now Jane Castor, Buddy Dyer, um, you know, they've had huge success in their communities, uh, been immensely popular, and yeah, would, would make great candidates uh, for that next level. I think that messaging, I don't think we've done as a party a, a very good job of communicating. Florida's a strange place. It's almost like three separate states in some way. Um, you know, the panhandle is very different from the I-4 corridor, which is very different from South Florida. And I think it's, it's very challenging, you know, to, as, as a Democrat, to run and have a, a message that, that can resonate in those three different kind of geographical areas. Again, I think in some ways that's where mayors have been really successful because we tend to be more pragmatic. Um, we tend to be more moderate and, and recognize the importance of business. It's not, you know, I, I describe myself as a, a pro-growth progressive. I recognize, you know, on social policies, I tend to be more progressive, but I also recognize you've got to have business and you've got to create business because that's jobs 
and, and that's tax revenues, and that allows you to invest in things like housing affordability and programs that are, are for job training and job creation and, you know, helping people that are homeless move off the, those roles to become, uh, you know, more self-sufficient. So do you think that Democrats need to be more organized at the state level? Um, so they, they seem to be coming out of the gates pretty fast, but they're always an inch short at the finish line, right? What do you think they should do? One of my frustrations is is that um, unlike Republicans typically, Democrats tend to we we tend to eat our own, um, you know, and have these. Certainly, for some, there's uh, you know there's this litmus that if you're not a hundred percent on every single issue, then you're not a you're not a real Democrat, you know. And we can't be that way. I mean. Rarely is someone 100% on board with every single issue. We're always going to have some differences, and we have to we have to allow for that and look for you know ways of collaborating. and And I don't think we've been as good at that, certainly as as Republicans have been. You know, I uh, I know the current chair of of the party, former mayor. Uh, you know, Manny Diaz is a is a really good guy. I was very supportive of his efforts to become our party chair, because I think he gets it. Uh, and again, I'm more optimistic to see Manny in that position and what I think hopefully he'll be able to ac- accomplish in recruiting good quality candidates and in raising funds to get our message out and to do a better job of our, of our messaging as a party. I think if we can do that, we can be competitive because, again, you look at the, 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 the folks who are running our local governments, you know, we're bringing our budgets in, in the black, we're investing our resources, you know, we're managing our, our communities, we're, we're doing a good job on public safety. All these things that supposedly Democrats couldn't do, we're doing, and we're doing it well. We know how to do it, and we just have to, we just have to get that message out. All right, Mayor Kreisman, last question. Uh, do you believe that the Rays plan to split between Tampa Bay and Montreal is realistic, and do you really think they're going to be here after 2027? I certainly wasn't shy about expressing my skepticism in the beginning. I'm still skeptical. And what I've said to the team is, and I've, I've said this before, if you can make this work, you know, great, all the power to you. I just can't pay and I can't use general revenue tax dollars to pay for your stadium. Uh, there are things we can do to, to help you with, a, you know, with a, we have the land. We have uh, the ability to provide some infrastructure and, and partnering with the county. There are things we can do. But if it's going to be a split, I can't build your stadium for you or pay money toward that stadium. I still think it's, it's a tall hill to climb to get a split to work. There's so many challenges. I think economically for them, I understand why they would want it. I mean, you have two TV markets. You know, TV revenues are a major source of revenue. I still believe, and I'll always believe, even when I'm not mayor, that this, uh, the, the St. Petersburg and the Tropicana Field site make the most sense for the team, especially with the ability to redevelop all around the stadium, uh, a pretty amazing redevelopment that can happen there. With the improvements that are being made to transit, part of the big challenge is it's not always easy to get here because of our road system, and that's going to change in five years. So I, I think this is the best place. I think this is where it makes the most sense for them, uh, and I'm still optimistic they'll be here. All right, Mayor Kreisman, anything else you'd like to uh, pontificate on? Yeah, I mean, the only other thing I would say is I, it's just a big thank you to, the, to this community here in St. Petersburg. 
Uh, I've enjoyed these eight years. There's been challenges. There always are. No job is perfect. Uh, but when you can say you've had a lot more good days than bad days, I feel very fortunate uh, to have been able to, to have this job for the last eight years. Uh, there is no other place in the state of Florida that I would ever want to live than in St. Pete or in the Tampa Bay community. I think we're all very fortunate to live here in, in a place that is as special as this is. All right, Mayor Kreisman, thank you very much for your service. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. And that's it for today's show. Our thanks go to Mayor Rick Kreisman and his staff. Our producer is Denora Prevost. I'm Steve Newborn. Thanks for listening to Florida Matters.